Our scripture reading today comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Ephesians 1, 15 through uh, 23. So sometimes I'm hesitant to um, share an illustration that I thought of just this morning. I'm impulsive, and sometimes it ruins the entire sermon. But I'm going to take the risk this morning. I can't pass it up. Uh, yesterday, like most of you, I was watching football. And I was watching TCU, Texas Christian University, play Baylor University. TCU was founded by the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. That's where I went to school. Baylor, founded by the Baptists. The Baptists against the Christians. So... Fourth, fourth quarter, 47 seconds left in the game. TCU is winning 9-6. to six. The field goal kicker has already missed a 38-yard field goal. They call a timeout, and uh, the Baylor field goal kicker is standing in the middle of the field when one of the other football players walks up to him and puts his arms around him like this, bows his head, closes his eyes, and starts speaking. I thought, now, what's he doing? Oh, he's praying. I was thrown into an immediate theological dilemma. <laughs> what if he makes it? What if he makes it, and God uses a field goal kicker to beat the disciples of Christ, the Baptists, right? What do I do with that? And it caused, and, and eventually TCU did lose the game in the third quarter. It's troubled me. Does God care about football? Did God help guide it? Did I choose the wrong denomination? <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, it's a lot of fun, but in this, in this uh, scripture we're reading today, Paul is praying. And when he's praying, he's praying for the whole church. One translation says he's praying for all God's people. Uh, he's saying, uh, I'm thankful for how you love all God's people. And then another translation, he says, your love for all the saints. And what that means to him is Baptists and Catholics and Christians, and Presbyterians, and Methodists, and Episcopalians, and Pentecostals, all of us are part of the church. And God had nothing to do with Baylor winning that game. Here's the reading. For this reason, Paul writes, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I, I love that. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. I keep asking. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Isn't that a great prayer for our church? I'm just going to keep on asking and asking and asking, God, that you 
would give our church a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we could know God better. Great prayer. I pray also that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, flooded with light, in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, the one we're living in now. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the reading of the Word of God. God's people did say. So, so today, before I dig really into what I consider to be the biggest heart of this, this passage from Paul and what it means for us, I want to get at a couple things that I think are also very important. Uh, the first is that, is that being a Christian is a part of being a community. Uh, the reason I titled this series, Together We Can, is that to remind that remind you to remind me to remind us that that together we can be the church that together we are the body of Christ that Christianity is not something that we do on our own it's something that we do together that we serve our city together and that everyone everyone here matters we all have a place here as a part of the church I love a book that was written by Rachel Held Evans called um, Searching for Sunday now, unfortunately, Rachel Held, Held Evans died within the last six months. She was a great writer, contemporary Christian writer, uh, a millennial, writing to millennials about the church. Uh, she died unexpectedly. Uh, this book is one of her better books. And in this book, she, she really asks some critical questions of the church. She's very, very critical of the church, that sometimes we put these guardrails around the church that don't allow us to break out and to think creatively and openly, that sometimes the, the church is not a safe place to ask questions. But what I love about her book is, is that she's also very, very optimistic and hopeful about the church, of what the church can be when we allow it to be a place for questions, where we allow it for, to be a place where people can stretch out and, and test and try new things and explore God in new ways, in new ways of worship. And she says as she was thinking about leaving the church, she ultimately found her, found her way back to the church because she said ultimately that being a Christian is a part of a community. That, that, that what we, it's not so much what we believe, it's how we believe together. We, we do life together. We, we serve together. And she said, I can't be a Christian on my own. I need the church. You know, I was thinking about that earlier, earlier in the earlier service. I was thinking that sometimes it's so important for me to be here, you know, to stand in the foyer and hear all the noise out in the foyer, all the people talking, to be in here and hear the music, because sometimes my head gets turned on sideways during the week, and, and I get a little dark, a little 
not so optimistic. And to walk into worship on Sunday morning and to be with one another and to sing God praise and just have my heart and mind lifted. Isn't it great sometimes to be with other people? I, not great. I need it to be here just to put my head on right, to remind me of why I'm here, why we're here, to know that God loves me. Isn't it great to be a part of God's people? You see, I love that. Because I see all these examples of how we're doing life together. The way we serve together. We're building a home together for a refugee family. The way we care for people together. Last weekend we had two funerals. One on each end of the weekend. I love the way that our families came together and supported those families. Providing meals and comfort to those families. Doing life together in time of sorrow. And raising children together. Did you know as Corey stood here with Luke Ryan? Right here was Jeff McGahee, been teaching fifth graders for eight years. You think that's impressive? Linda McCarty's been teaching children for 29 years. It's something that we do together. Uh, you see, Paul, when he wrote this letter, it's all about community. We tend to read it personally as it's addressed to me, but no, it's not addressed to me. It's addressed to us. Paul, when he wrote this letter, he was writing to a group of people he knew intimately. He knew their families. He, he knew their struggles. He founded that church. That church became a major church in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. They started six other churches. Paul started the church, founded the church. Paul was there at one time for more than three years. He, he called teachers and leaders, equipped pastors, and left the church behind and was writing this letter back to them. There's a beautiful story at one point where Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and he stops and ports a ship, docks a ship in Ephesus, and the elders and the members of the church came out to see Paul. And it says that Paul told them, I may never see you again. And there was so much love between Paul and his church, that sense of family and community, that they were just crying and weeping in love for Paul. Oh, when you read this letter, what you see, what you see as important, we, being a Christian is something we don't do by ourselves. We do it, we do it together. And our best example or witness, perhaps, to the world is not always what we say, but how we love and care for one another. The other thing I'd point out to you is just, just notice how, you know, optimistic and positive Paul is in this letter. Paul, whenever he wrote a letter, he, was generally, he generally wasn't writing one because everything was going well. He was often writing them because things weren't going so well to a church. But what I love about this is he doesn't begin by complaining doesn't begin by fault-finding, doesn't begin by pointing out what was wrong with the church. And believe me, every church has something wrong with it. Every church is made up of people. And when you bring people together, there's going to be trouble. The only way to have a perfect church is for there to be only be one member. The minute you add the second person, there's problems. So Paul could have pointed out all the problems, but instead he, he says, I am. I am so thankful for you. Such a great reminder. The importance of being positive and nurturing a spirit of gratitude. I don't know about you, but sometimes it is so hard today to be positive. So much negativity all around us, all the time, everywhere. 
And sometimes some of us even have a pessimistic bent or nature to us because of the way that we were raised. We fault find, we condemn, we, we judge. But one thing we learn from Paul here is that Paul had a different approach. Paul said in Philippians 4.8, focus on what's good and beautiful in others, what's noble and beautiful and true. Focus on those things. Focus on those things. Now I remind you, Paul wasn't always that way. You may remember that at one point Paul was a hater. Uh, Paul looked for the bad in others. But over a number of years, that negative spirit, that hate-filled spirit in Paul's heart became a heart of love and goodness so that when he wrote this letter, just thanksgiving flowed out of it. I say this to you because I think of, can't think of something even more important than recognizing community how important it is to be positive. And if you're like me, when you come in here on Sunday morning, I, I just pray that you will feel that love to let go of it. Let go of it. Do you struggle with negativity? In a moment, we're going to sing a great song called Free. Free, being about being set free. Maybe today, if you're struggling with that, and if you're finding reasons to, difficult to be thankful, just leave it. Just leave it here on the altar and ask to be set free. Now, here's the heart then. Community, thanksgiving, the prayer. It's interesting. What does Paul pray for? The first thing he says when Paul prays in this letter, he prays that God would be made known to them. He says, I just keep asking God to be made known to you. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is going to fill your heart and mind with light and wisdom and revelation so that you'll know God better. Now, that just sounds like, that's really good, Pastor Dave. That's pretty big insight. We go to church to learn about God. We forget. I love Paul's passion. He's saying of all the things we could talk about, all the things we could pray about, he said it all starts with God who is our creator. And he says, I'm just praying for you as a church that you're going to have a passionate desire to know God, a zealous, passionate fire in your spirit to keep asking God, God, we're hungry for you. God, we want to worship you. God, we, we want to know you. Because Paul knows something about us that sometimes we forget, and sometimes it becomes habit, sometimes it becomes routine. And sometimes we show up just telling God about us rather than wanting to know God. And you know what? God already knows everything about us. It's okay to share what you need to share. But the answer comes in knowing who God is. And there's a wonderful verb here, a word here, epinosis. When he prays for them, he says, I'm praying that you will have epinosis. It's a Greek word that means intimate, personal, experiential relationship. So when Paul here is praying, he's praying that they would know God personally. Not know about God, but know God. In fact, in Philippians 1.9, he says essentially the same thing to them. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth 
epinosis. Colossians 1.9, he says essentially the same thing. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge, intimate, personal knowledge of God's will so that you would know his will. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, which comes later in Ephesians, he says this. He says that God has appointed apostles and pastors and teachers. Why? To equip us for the works of service, to call people together for unity, and so that we would know God personally. Whenever I forget what I'm supposed to do, all I have to do is read these words. That's my job description. My job description is to equip you to serve, to call you to ministry, to call us together, to to focus on what we have in common, to bring us together, to know that together we can serve, and then to call us and pray us into an awareness of the presence of God. What if we kept asking? What if we kept asking, God, be real to us? What if we prayed as fervently? Well, four thoughts. The first is, God wants to be known. Just like we want someone to know us and love us, God wants to be known too. And you look at the biblical record from the last page, first page, the last page, that whole story is how God is revealing God's self to us. And when you read through the Old Testament up to the New Testament, you see it reach its dynamic climax in the moment when God becomes a human being to be known to us. The second thing is, there's always more of God to know. We never have it all figured out. I remember when I was a kid, um, my parents would take me to the Fort Worth Zoo. Um, And you know, Fort Worth has a really good public zoo. It's, it's really great. I, I couldn't wait till my mom and dad would take me to the zoo. It seemed like the biggest place I had ever been. I felt like we could spend a week there exploring every nook and cranny and seeing every exhibit in the zoo. So when my son was about four or five years old, I was really excited to take him to the Fort Worth Zoo. And the whole time I was walking around, I kept thinking, I thought this place was bigger. It's always that way. The only reason God becomes small to us is if the container that we're using to hold God is too small. God is always bigger, always more. We'll never outgrow God because God is always bigger. And the problem isn't that God is too small. It's the theological container that we hold God in is too small. You know, we need a church where we can bust out of the boxes. That's what Rachel Held Evans' life was really all about. The third point related to that one is that the church is supposed to be a safe place and it's supposed to be a dangerous place. Same time. What that means by that is, is we should be able to ask all the questions we want. There should be no question we can't ask. We should be able to be our real true selves before one another, before God, question anything and everything, ask God any question, express all our doubts, fears, all that kind of stuff, and it should be safe for that. But it also should be very dangerous 
for us when we think we have all the answers, when we think we have cornered the truth, when we think that God has chosen our team to win the game. I, I read a, a book recently, and I really want, I recommend you to read it. It's called Chasing Francis. Chasing Francis is the, it's a, it's a, actually it's interesting. I read two books in the last week about a minister. One was where a church member went and shot the minister. The next is the book Chasing Francis where the minister gets fired. I don't know what that's about. It's a little troubling. <laughs> Safe and dangerous. Well, anyway, Chasing Francis is about this minister who had, he was called the Bible Answer Man. Had it all figured out. Built this big church on this theological system. God all figured out all the answers, had an answer for every single thing until he met a woman named Maggie and her daughter. Maggie came to the church. She was an addict. She got sober. Church embraced her. And then one day, her nine-year-old daughter, Maggie's nine-year-old daughter, was riding a bicycle, fell off the bicycle, hit her head, and she died. And Maggie looked at the, the minister and says, where is God now? Where is your God now? And Chase says in that moment that something broke inside of him. He said it was like a a china cabinet filled with expensive, perfect china. It fell over and cracked and went everywhere. Nothing that he'd once believed made as much sense to him anymore. And so he went to church that Sunday, and all these doubts, he'd he'd built this church where questioning wasn't okay, and then all of a sudden he finds himself asking all these questions and he begins to explore these things. He sits down on the edge of the stage and says, I think I've lost my faith. He was immediately sit on pilgrimage. <laughs> and we know how that ends. But he went to, he went to uh, learn about St. Francis of Assisi and he found a whole new way of being and living. This God, this expansive God who can handle all questions that can't fit in any of our systems. You know what it is? It's my fourth point is is that it's supposed to be messy. It's supposed to be messy. The church is this gathering of all kinds of people. We come from different backgrounds, and the more diverse we get, the more we learn because we rub up against each other. We learn from each other. If God created everyone all over the world, doesn't it make sense That as we get around other people who have different ways of thinking, that God would become bigger for us. Sometimes it's what we believe that gets in the way of knowing God, not what we don't believe. So why does this matter? Because God wants to flood our heart with light. Because God wants us to know this glorious way of life he's called us to. Because God wants us to experience his power at work in us. And for this last reason in verse 23. Oh, this is beautiful church. Because the church is Christ's body. In which he speaks and acts. God wants us to know who God is and to keep asking. Because we are his body. And through us, he speaks and acts. And it's how he fills his presence with everything. 